1: night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Sometimes it's the normal, sometimes it's the abnormal, and sometimes it's the paranormal, but it's always beyond reality. Welcome to Monday Night Slash Tuesday Morning, everyone. It's Beyond Reality Radio. I'm your host, J.V. Johnson. Thank you for being here tonight. Uh, Another great week of shows for you. We've got a lot of great stuff lined up. Starting with tonight's program, Maria Goodavidge will be with us. Maria is the author of a book called Dr. Dogs. She's a New York Times best-selling author. Several books, to her credit, related to the work that our best friends, man's best friends, do for us. And the one we're going to be talking about tonight is, again, Dr. Dogs. And this role that dogs are starting to take on, And helping us uh, diagnose and discover medical conditions and problems. And also helping us uh, live with those conditions if possible. So it's going to be a really interesting discussion. Anytime we begin talking about our furry friends, we get a lot of input from listeners. Plus, we get a lot of attention from people because we, uh, we have an unbelievable relationship. At least most of us do. With dogs, cats, whatever it happens to be. Our pets are very, very important to us. We will take your phone calls love to have you uh join this discussion. The phone number write it down for the second hour of the program is eight four four six eight seven seven six six nine You can tell i'm still still trying to get over this uh whatever it was flu cold whatever it's lingering. I feel a lot better so you, i don't need i don't need to uh to get any sympathy for that, but my voice is still just a little rocky and I actually just uh Um, I have a gig this weekend with my band, so I've got to be able to sing by Saturday night. (laughs) We'll see how that works out. Uh, Looking ahead at other shows we've got coming up, these are great conversations. Tomorrow night, Matt Landman will be here. He's a filmmaker and an activist. He's going to be warning us about the dangers of 5G. You know what 5G is, right? In fact, I was in Cleveland over the weekend, and I was there with my buddy Jason Lively. You know Jason Lively from movies like European Vacation. He played Rusty. He was also in a a horror film called Night of the Creeps, and he's Blake Lively's brother. That gives him a little bit more notoriety. I think uh, she's very, very popular. Anyway, he has a brand-new phone. It's an Apple. uh, It's an iPhone, and it had 5G on uh, on there. I didn't even think anybody was actually offering 5G yet. But this 5G service is the next generation of cell phone service. It's focused on high-speed data, since that's how we use these phones more often than not anymore. But some people believe that it's very, very dangerous. It's a different technology than what we're used to. It's based on the same principles, but it's not like 3G, 4G or its predecessors. This is very different. And and folks are saying that it's dangerous and we need to start making some noise about it. So Matt Landman will talk to us about that tomorrow night. He'll also tell us how we can protect ourselves. And then uh, Wednesday night's program, Alan Stivelman, who is also a filmmaker, he's got a documentary called Witness of Another World, and it unveils the mystery of a spectacular close encounter witnessed by a lonely gaucho. Yes, that'll be Wednesday night's program here on Beyond Reality Radio. I'm going to make a plea right now because I really need your help. If you have not gone to the YouTube channel, I need you to do that. I need you to go there and subscribe. Just go to YouTube and search for J.V. Johnson. You'll find about 400 episodes of Beyond Reality Radio there. Plus, we stream live. It's where our chat room is as well. It's all there. There's no charge. Just subscribe. Give it a a like or whatever you have to do. And then also click on the notification icon because that will alert you when we upload new material. And we had a a special upload over the weekend, actually. We uploaded a special um, interview about Halloween which is really, really informative. It was with the queen of Halloween, in fact. And if you are a podcast subscriber, you got got it there as well. Uh, So subscribe to the podcast, like the YouTube channel, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and uh, be part of our community. We would really appreciate that. All right, we're going to be talking about Dr. Dogs tonight with Maria Goodavidge. Maria is a New York Times best-selling author, and we will bring her in right after the break. It's Beyond Reality Radio. Did you know that online retailers like Amazon have constant deals that can save you money on the things you buy every day? It's no joke. Save 40%, 50%, even 80% on great products, and all you have to do is know about them. Noodle Shark is the way to be alerted when something good is coming your way. Noodle Shark is the social media A page that lists great deals that not only save you money but give you the deals before anyone else has them. All you have to do is find Noodle Shark on Facebook. Search it as The Noodle Shark. That's The Noodle Shark because you deserve to save too. Become a shark and save. We're going to be talking about Dr. Dogs tonight. Our guest, Maria Goodovich is a former USA Today journalist and also considered to be one of the foremost author experts on working dogs with her crit- critically acclaimed New York Times best-selling books that include Soldier Dogs, Top Dog, and Secret Service Dogs, plus the book we're going to be talking about tonight, Doctor Dogs. She's appeared on numerous national television shows, including The Daily Show and The Today Show, and has also given talks about working dogs at the New York Stock Exchange, national museum of the united states air force and other notable venues she lives in san francisco with her yellow lab gus among other people maria welcome to be on reality radio great to have you here tonight
0: Hi, it's fun to be here thanks
1: so you are you've been a journalist you're an author we're going to get into the uh, connection with dogs and the books you've written first but tell us a little bit about your career path uh, how did you choose to get into journalism
0: well i well my dad was actually a writer, and um i I see you guys do a lot on astrology he he wrote books on astrology back in the sixties and seventies and and other phenomenon kind of like that and uh, we didn't Joseph Godvi for anyone who's listening and likes astrology um and we we didn't have uh you know, a lot of money growing up and I, I loved writing though and I and I thought you know what's the good way to make money as a writer um, well how about a journalist <laughs> and we you know newspapers will exist forever and so uh, you know I majored in journalism uh, at Northwestern and went on from there to to do newspapers and every time I'd get a a story about animals, and it was always really fun to do those. I had wanted to be a veterinarian as well in my teens, but I decided that I didn't like blood and guts, and so (laughs) I chose to write about them instead. And eventually um, I started writing books while I was writing for I was the Northern California correspondent for USA Today for about 7 years and I started writing books as well about they were guidebooks on places to take your dog in California and in the San Francisco Bay Area as well and that became a whole national series I was the series editor and they did really well and it made me realize how how people really like to be with their dogs and how how greatly important dogs are. And this was back in in the the early 90s when there weren't that many places you could take a dog. And so um, that just sort of got me started on the path to writing more and more about dogs. And eventually I had my human child and um, stopped being a correspondent for USA Today because I couldn't, you know, be at the beck and call of the news all the time with an infant, and mm-hmm. so I just got more and more into writing writing books and and just the the whole dog thing panned out. I became a um, an editor at this popular dog website called Dogster, and it's just been it's just been really fun to be able to kind of follow follow what I love to do.
1: It's always fun when you can do that. I just want to ask you a quick question about your father. Was did he practice astrology or did he just write about it?
0: He, he was. He wrote this book called Astrology Space Age Science in I think it was sixty four and then or sixty six and then Write Your Own Horoscope. That was a huge. That became like a million copy bestseller. Oh, wow. I don't, don't know why we had didn't have money, but uh, <laughs> but that was a that that really popularized astrology actually. And um, it, it, it went through several editions until he passed in nineteen eighty nine. Linda Goodman wrote the forward to that particular edition actually. Uh, so so and he wrote about. There was something called uh, Storm on the Sun about, you know, what what's coming up with, uh, I guess, solar storms, um, and that was in in the late 80s. And, um, and a lot of things, uh, a lot of magic, science of the future. I wish he could be your guest. He would probably, <laughs> you know, really be popular with, with the listeners. Mine is more sort, sort of standard science and dogs.
1: I have a feeling you're going to be very popular with our, popular with our listeners. Anytime we talk about Dogs, cats, pets, animals, uh, we get a tremendous response. Frequently, we're talking with people who communicate with animals, which is an interesting Uh take on all of this. Um, But were you a a, a dog uh, lover as a child or did this come on later in life for you?
0: Yeah, no, no, I always was. We we were in New York um, until I was eight, and my parents got a chance to move us to really rural Maine, Whitefield, Maine, beautiful little town, I guess, um, with maybe 1,000 people spread over a lot of miles. And we, we lived on 200 acres, and uh, that was the first time my city parents had lived in the country, but they took right to it. We It was their best friend's place. And actually, um, one of the reasons we moved there was because... Um, sort I'm just mentioning this because it' might be of interest to um to your listeners um uh, the people who lived there before it, the place had been burglarized about eight times in the in the two years that the place was empty and in one of the burglaries they took the ashes of the man who had owned the place, and so um my father hired a um a psychic. Alex Tanis, I think his name was Tanis, to to find the ashes somewhere. He thought it was on the property, and they looked and looked and looked, and they never found them. But it was kind of cool, and they they got into dowsing as well while while they were there. Um, but that was that was um, we had dogs. <laughs> In answer to that question, we we started getting dogs when shortly after we moved to Maine, and they, that was the day. Those were the days when dogs were sort of free range, um, and so they would kind of. Come and go, and but they they always came back. But it was it was really great. I did want to be a veterinarian for quite a while, and then I actually had a reality check when I went to a, I arranged for three days with a veterinarian in Augusta, Maine, and. I was watching operations and trying to not faint and lose <laughs> consciousness, and I was just horrified. And I thought, you know, no, let's 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 switch to your other love, which is which is writing, and that's what I ended up doing. And now I, I'm fusing both of them, which is just I'm really I feel really lucky to be able to do this.
1: So I've heard of, uh, an expression, or maybe I made it up. I don't know. Maybe it came to me in a dream. But there are two kinds of people in the world: those that love dogs and those that don't know what they're missing. <laughs>
0: yes. <laughs> Yeah. Must love dogs. And and dogs are just they're just fantastic. They're so the unconditional love they give us and the fact they just always seem to know when you're having a bad day or to, to be joyful with you when you are having a great day and they, they just they they know what's going on in your life without saying anything and you can tell them anything and they don't they don't, you know, need to give you advice or talk back. They're just—they're wonderful. It's—it's it's,
1: it's the epitome. It's the definition of unconditional love. Wouldn't you agree?
0: It really, really, really is. I, you know, I, humans kind of come with—with. With, it, it makes it a little more difficult sometimes to have that unconditional love. Not always, by any means. But dogs just. Have it if you're good to a dog. The dog is going. There's you know there, there's a book um, now about you know do dogs really love us? And the, the conclusion, in by scientists, is yes, they indeed do. And you know anyone who's ever known a dog can tell you that. But it's nice to see you know kind of science coming around and saying yes, they do, of course. Uh, so so yeah, my dog is actually his name is Gus, and he's lying about a foot away from me <laughs> on his big round bed, and he's sleeping right now, which is great because about five minutes ago he was in the backyard. Um, barking at a raccoon and I in. So
1: is gus I, 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 I have to ask this because i've seen pictures of gus on your website and i've also seen the cover of the book dr dogs is that gus on the cover
0: that, no that is not gus on the cover that's a golden retriever okay and gus is a yellow lab they uh, kind okay of yeah like,
1: they're kind, but, of similar, you know, kind of similar the picture
0: of gus inside is after he rolled in some stuff so <laughs> yeah. gus likes to roll in things and i think it just he it seems to um, disguise him. He likes to roll in things like mm, uh, coyote poop mm-hmm. or horse poop, mm-hmm. and then and then he. Becomes that character. So when we're on the trail, we we there are a lot of really nice off leash places uh, around the San Francisco Bay Area, and we go to them a lot. And he'll just get up just a little bit ahead of me, and I'll see him rolling joyously in something. I thought, oh god, and I call him up, <laughs> and then he's got a smear of something, and and then he's and then when he encounters another dog after he's been rolling in all these other animal scents, he walks so proudly. He's just, it's I swear, it's like he really thinks he's all that and then the other dogs act like he's a rock star they come up to him and they they it's almost if they could talk which they don't thank god but they they would go wow dude thank you wow that is so cool who are you and and they they look amazed and he looks so proud and i don't know this exchange but <laughs> it's it's something um i read that you know, it can be just in in certain um, other animals rolling in that kind of stuff. Um, kind of disguises them, camouflages them as other creatures. So I'm thinking that's why he's doing it, or uh,
1: who knows. We have uh, just a minute here before we have to go to break, Um, but you you mentioned a scientific approach to the love of dogs and that there is some validation in the scientific community of this. But I found it just anecdotally just today. I was uh, at an event over the weekend and my daughter has a, a six month old black lab puppy that lives in this house. And um, when I got home, that dog had been fed and cared for all weekend, even though I wasn't there. But it could not have been more excited and happier to, have, to see me. And I thought to myself, the dog didn't want for anything over weekend. It's truly happy to see me.
0: Yes, yes. There's nothing like a greeting of a dog. Even if if I go down to the corner and come back. It's just like I've been gone a year. and so thrilled. I mean, no, I don't know any people who would do that when I come back in after being gone for five minutes.
1: <laughs> but it is, it is uh, an amazing thing, and the bond that uh, humans have with dogs is unlike any other animal. And I, I suppose I'm going to anger some cat lovers when I say that, but I truly believe it. Um, and and maybe I just don't understand the cat thing as much uh, because I don't, I've, I haven't had cats. But um, it is unique, and it goes back. Centuries, I mean, probably millennia, right?
0: Yeah, I don't know how much time we have. We right got about now, 30, but, um, sec- thirty
1: seconds. right oh, now. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, we won't get into the whole history, but you know, back in in the wolf days, even they they've been they they've been out they were at our side for for very very long time, and they've learned to uh, exist with us, reflect us, and you know, even you know be our better halves or make us see ourselves as we you know our, our better selves in a way.
1: Maria, when we start looking at the capabilities of these animals and our friends. Um, I think we're just starting to scratch the surface, aren't we?
0: Yeah, we really are. We are at the tip of the iceberg of what uh, what we know of dogs and their capabilities. Right now, we're kind of harnessing their. We're harnessing their sense of smell and the way they bond with us. Their sense of smell is absolutely astonishingly sensitive. Anyone who has a dog knows that. But but science is is really beginning to realize just how sensitive it is, and uh, they're they're harnessing these abilities. But there there are many other things that uh, that we're learning about dogs along the way and and their capabilities. So, just the fact that uh, we we have about six million olfactory receptors, which is is pretty good, but dogs have up to three hundred million, wow. and they their brains are just better set up to make sense of of these smells, the sense. And um, I like to you know I I kind of like to compare their uh, olfactory world is sort of to our to our um, visual world, and it's really rich and vivid. And one of the scientists I spoke with said that. Uh, Dog smell in color. It's not really true that dogs smell in color, but it gives you an idea of how rich that world is for them. And so when we ask them to sniff out a bomb or that narcotic or this illness, as long as we tell them clearly in the training, it's, it's really not that hard. And their rewards across the board, in the military, Secret Service, and in medical uses and uh, research – Research dogs, in my book, are are happy dogs who come in and volunteer for the day and go home. Uh, it's it's all positive. It's positive training. It's it's rewards, treats, and and a lot of praise. So it's a it's a really it's a it's a feel good story all the way around. They're they're helping us and they're having fun doing it, and we're learning more about about what they can do every day. And I said, as you said, we're just at at the tip of knowing what they can do. And when we later get into the the uh, medical information, you'll see that more.
1: Uh, I've always heard the story that uh, our relationship with dogs really began when we were, uh, I hate to use the phrase, but we were cavemen, let's say. And we were sitting around the fire, and we found there was a real benefit to having these animals around. They kept other predators at bay, um, and we would feed them. And that kind of was the start of the relationship. And clearly, that was a symbiotic relationship. They were doing... Uh, us a service as we were helping them get food in some cases is that the the way it happened
0: it, it, there are different theories on that but yeah that is a popular theory and it's not my it's not my field of expertise that i've i've read about many of them but that definitely is is probably one of one of the most common ones and i think it makes it makes sense we were we needed they they came around to get our garbage basically they would they would eat our whatever food we had left over and then they would start being protective of the area and then we started working with them to to, uh, to they they would follow us and then people started being able to relate to the dogs and vice versa, they grew less fearful. And this this progressed through the ages. And here we are with our sleeping yellow lab at our feet.
1: (laughs) So we can, uh, if we look at that particular scenario, maybe that's the way it did unfold. Um, We really, from the very, very beginning, uh, had this symbiotic relationship where dogs were performing a service for us and we were Providing something else in return um, and that's what we 're talking about tonight it's not really much different than that, is it?
0: yeah, it really isn't because uh, everyone is everyone is getting something from it and benefiting and and happy about about this of course it's it's taken a big turn in the last couple of hundred years as as selective breeding takes place, and we can create these animals who who look nothing like each other. You've got Chihuahuas versus Great Danes, and it's the same species, and they can possibly intermingle and breed. And yeah. uh, it's it's really quite something what 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 has happened in in this in this uh, species because uh, it there's very little elsewhere. I don't know if there is such variation in you know, in other animals as there is in dogs in general you look at what's out there when you go to the dog park or when you're walking down the street and it's amazing but they all all, it it, all dogs seem to have this ability to tune into people in using whatever senses they're they're so keen they're they're so good at observing us too my book really looks at this latest book really looks at how the sense of smell is Behind the the cutting edge science of what dogs are able to do to save lives today with their people who have medical disorders and also uh, per- potentially uh, save lives through the research they're helping, but uh, they also they, anyone who has a dog knows that their dog watches them. Dogs are phenomenal observers, oh, yeah. oh, and yeah. they're they're always watching you. And sometimes it's sure it's for food, but but <laughs> other times it's just checking you out. And I I I've, Definitely, I catch my Gus watching me a lot when I have no idea he's watching me and I see these big, dark doe eyes just staring at me and, and checking me out. And then they learn to tell the difference in body language and, and and when you're going to do something. He always, always knows. When we have company coming over, I don't know how. Maybe it's the only time I vacuum. I don't know. <laughs> but but he, he knows and he goes and sits by the door. Uh, and he, he's really observant. He knows uh, when... He goes to his uncle's house not too far away for uh, like one afternoon a week. And when I'm texting to pick him up, regardless of when it is he seems to know they say oh my god he knew he knew it was you texting it's the same ding as always but uh, i don't know that's not watching me or anything so who knows what's going on there but uh, even when he's not near me he he knows and in fact when i was coming home from the airport i've done a lot of traveling lately for the research of the book and then the publicity has taken me all over the place and uh, and my husband said yeah he, he he knew you were coming home and he was waiting by the door and he was super excited I thought, how does he know? I have no idea, but but uh, we're we're really connected, and I think people over the years have have learned to uh, to to value dogs in, in ways we never did before. As I said, I started writing about dogs in the uh, early 1990s, and there there weren't nearly the accommodations for for dogs and being with people in, in businesses in in hotels even or restaurants with outdoor tables as there are now they're just it just keeps increasing and sometimes you know for better or worse because sometimes you see behavior you would not want to see in some of these places but people really value being able to be with their dogs as as much as they can when you're working 9 to 5 and then some uh, you come home to your dog it's it's a great thing so why not stay together more on the weekends and in that time off uh,
1: I I really Appreciate what you just said about dogs being able to read body language and read some very, very subtle uh differences and maybe even facial expressions. You know, we've had people on the program that have talked about dogs, dogs having some type of telepathic or psychic abilities. And I I don't know whether that's true or not. But what I do know is often we can confuse that with the just the natural ability of a dog to be able to read subtle language body language or subtle facial expressions or subtle Changes in our behavior that we don't even realize we're exhibiting, but yet it tells the dog everything the dog needs to know.
0: Yeah, and in fact, that's something that they have to be really careful of in in when they're doing research. Right now, there's a lot of research going on. It's really exciting with with cancer with dogs detecting cancer in research settings in laboratories. So um, they have can- samples of cancer, actually not the cancer itself, but let's say the Plasma of someone with ovarian cancer. The dogs can detect cancer. Which ones are from women with ovarian cancer versus which plasma does not have that? But if the that's just one of many kinds of cancer, dogs are able to detect at at very early stages, and a lot of these are cancers that are not. Easily found in these early stages in with traditional tests right now, so it's it's exciting. We can talk later about what that might lead to, but right now, what uh, what the scientists, what the researchers have found, is that they have to be hidden when they're in the room, the same room with the dog, with these cancer samples. What the cancer samples are usually in this sort of um, around thing. It's a kind of. A, uh, uh, something in the middle with spokes that come out. It's like a big wheel almost, a cancer wheel. And there are various ports, maybe eight ports with samples in them. And usually only one will have the cancer sample or none because they don't want the dog to falsely alert just to get a treat. And so what they found is if you're in the same room as the dog and the dog can see you, even if you have the best poker face, the dog, mm-hmm. do anything tiny and, and you will you can indicate to the dog where it is or isn't. It could be that you're holding your breath. There's something called, it's called the clever Hans effect. I don't know if you've talked about that with your guests before, but Hans was a horse way back in the early 1900s who really, 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 really looked like he was able to talk and and understand people and answered questions really well. But it turned out, and, and even the best scientists believed him, but then, Finally it was discovered that the inadvertently his owner was giving him these, you know, really small signals that the the owner didn't even know. The horse this the horse the horse was reading this and, and getting I mean what a smart creature he is he was. Unfortunately, um it didn't end well for him because once it once it was found out that he wasn't really able to understand and speak, uh, he went off to the war it never came back so um, but that's that's just we don't give animals enough credit for i mean they're so smart and they're they're just in a way that we don't relate to because they can't talk or whatever but but they are they're observing us all the time and and most of the cancer research now has the the researchers in an, either in another room entirely or behind a screen, so that there can be no confusion. Uh, with, there's no confounding factor of a human being because the dogs will will look to them and 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 probably be clued in the direction that they should not be.
1: Uh, that device that you were speaking of, um, the spoked round contraption that is is used um, for research purposes. Uh, you have a video on your website uh, about the book, and I believe that device is actually shown in the video.
0: Yeah, uh, that was, I'm, I'm not sure which one you're speaking of, but probably medical detection dogs in England has uh, many different... Uh, many different diseases that they are trying to uh, get dogs to alert to early. And cancer is one of them, and they have a number of different um, superbugs as well as uh, bacteria that are common in some diseases. So they're able to get these dogs to 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 go walk around the wheel, and and the way they, uh, I call it a scent wheel, Mm -hmm. some people call it a cancer wheel, a disease wheel, Um, there are lots of names for it, but the dog, the way the dog alerts is the dog will calmly walk around the wheel, check out each little port with each sample, and usually the, the alert is a sit and a stare at that. Some dogs give a little paw action, some dogs lie down. But, yeah, it's really fun to watch these dogs as they do it because they are so good. I think, as I was saying earlier, their sense of smell is so great that it's probably like asking us uh, to find find the paper clip <laughs> on the white bedspread or something. And what what they're asking dogs to do is 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 complex and it takes a while for the dog to figure it out. They give them the sample of cancer and the dog has to eventually they give another sample, another sample Let's the same plasma. We'll just use the ovarian cancer again. And they have these sense of ovarian cancer plasma and the dog starts Figuring out, oh, wait, now this, there's the same smell. It's different people. It's different, it's different places it's collected. But there's something similar here that I get rewarded for when I, I alert to this scent. No one knows what it is that they're smelling. It's, um, they're, they're volatile organic compounds. And they are either smelling specific ones, patterns of these compounds. Science is trying to catch up with the dog's nose because, and we don't know, Right now, what's going on is uh, chemical analysts are using their devices, their um, GCMS, gas chromatography, magnetic spectrometry, and other devices that can that can um get to the core of, of a scent and like it can it can detect and analyze what the scents are that the dog might be smelling and then what the scientists will do is say, Oh, is it these compounds in this pattern, doggy, are you going to alert to this? And then they will give the dog that to smell and the dog may or may not alert to that. So it's it's really hard for science to find out what the dogs are smelling. Does each cancer have its own individual cancer fingerprint? Is there an overall fingerprint for all cancers? These are all questions that may be answered pretty soon as more and more research is done with the dogs. And in the long run, people aren't going to see dogs in the laboratory at their doctor's office uh, it's sniffing around for cancer, this they're going to lead to a technology which an e-nose, electronic nose, or there are all kinds of names for it, but you might be able to go to your doctors in a few years and breathe into uh, a tube or something, and it will say, you know, based on what the dogs have told us about what the compounds are that they're looking for, they, because breath is one of the things that dogs are detecting cancer on, they'll be able to say yes or no. This is this is this is here, or let's get it checked out further. Actually, the end point of this is one one of the coolest uses or ways that this could be detected. Um, I interviewed a scientist from MIT, and he foresees a very realistic chance that our smartphones will be equipped with this olfactory technology, wow. and they'll be. He wants to a Major study uh, for for quite a while with up to fifty thousand people uh, to 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 see what what are have the sm- the smell capability on all the time and what our scents are and have. Have people um, keeping record of if they if they get ill if there are problems and what and then they could analyze what these scents were and eventually our cell phones may be able to say hey uh, something something weird is going on or this is a little different you should get checked out by your doctor so that's what he foresees and I, I just love the fact that these are our our best friends doing this for fun and it could lead to this non invasive inexpensive rapid mm-hmm. and um, you know, early potentially an accurate uh, cancer detection, and just all for you know for the uh, for for the paycheck of a treat, <laughs> a and treat and praise, or yeah. favorite
1: toy. <laughs> You've got several books about dogs that have been put into service in one fashion or another. Is there any advantage to reading them in any given sequence, or any any book is fair game to start with?
0: Well, um, Doctor Dogs is is the big one right now, and it's got the most cutting edge and latest um, science in it. So it's kind of exciting to read it right now before whatever happens from it moves to the next phase. But uh, but what you could do is uh, my first book about working dogs is called Soldier Dogs, and in that one I get more into how dogs, um, how how they work, how their noses work, what their jobs are, how they bond with with their handlers and then and the next book is called top dog and it's about a marine hero it's about one hero a lot of people think that it's uh it's fiction but it's such a good story that it's it's all it's completely non-fiction it's a really great story of a marine dog and uh and her people, and the other dogs she worked with. She was a real hero. You know the the book, uh, the dog out there now, who's Conan, yeah. who uh, was yeah. So she's she's another hero girl, and uh, who did different work, and then and then secret service dogs is. Negative. You can read them in any order, but I would say Doctor Dogs first if you're listening to the show and you're interested in it. Maybe then Soldier Dogs and Top Dog and Secret Service Dog.
1: The fact that uh, science has discovered that our furry friends are actually very, very capable at using their senses to help us diagnose disease and help us live and manage some of these diseases. Maria Goodovich is the author of the book, Dr. Dogs. Maria, most of us are familiar with service animals in the form of maybe those that help the visually impaired. Um, We know that uh, dogs are are good uh, at uh, helping police in their work, Uh, whether it's trying to find a suspect or maybe find a missing individual. But at what point did science and the medical community start to recognize that these um, animals and their amazing sense of smell could be used for diagnosis and other purposes?
0: Back in the late 1980s, a woman in England was uh, she has she had a few dogs she had adopted, and they were very sweet dogs. One was named Baby Boo, and she was a dachshund, a little dachshund border collie mix who was very tender with the other adopted dogs. And one of the other adopted dogs was uh, a kleptomaniac. She would go to the the store down the street, and steal a can of beans, or this and that. But, but Baby Boo still treated her well. She, she was a very sweet, kind, gentle dog. And one day, the woman Bonita was in her backyard doing some work on the house, and uh, and Baby Boo, this sweet, gentle dog, ran up to her and attacked the back of her leg as she was uh, doing uh, cleaning the windows i think from the outside and it, she had shorts on and the dog was just launching into her leg and tearing at it and the woman just had no idea what was going on it was so uncharacteristic of this dog she showed the this uh, what happened, she showed the back of her thigh to someone who had worked in a skin clinic at some point, coincidentally, and that woman said, you need to get to a doctor right away. Not because of what the dog had done, just because of what she saw. The woman could not see her thigh, so she, she went to the doctor. It turned out it was a melanoma, and they caught it right before it was going to spread they said and oh. and they they removed it and uh, the doctor even said the dog saved your life she was forever grateful to baby boo and this story would have been one of many stories one of these anecdotal stories that just no one really hears about science doesn't know about except for a young, at the time, researcher who was going through the, the files at the time of this department, the dermatology department, and he saw the file about Bonita and Baby Boo, and on the top, in red letters, someone had written, dog saves woman's life, in, with exclamation marks, and of course, that caught his attention, and he contacted the woman and learned more about it and, and looked at her files, and he and another colleague ended up, Writing what would be the first, uh, the first. Really, uh, what well, was a letter to the editor? But it was in a. It was the first time something like this would appear in a medical journal. This this appeared on April 1st, 1989, in the British Medical Journal, Lancet, which is a very prestigious journal. And they the title of the letter was uh, "Sniffer Dogs in the Melanoma Clinic" with a question mark. And the, you know you could you could be forgiven if you thought this was a joke, of course, because it was April Fools. But but it wasn't at all. They were they were looking at the possibility that. Dogs might be able to sniff out disease, and they wrote about this dog, and that kicked in the interest in the scientific community of about well, can can dogs really do this? But it, as as all these new ideas do in science, it, it took a while for for it to be taken seriously, and there was there was some initial interest, and some people started looking into this, but it really didn't take hold until. Um, about ten years or so later a little more than that later when uh, another letter to the editor in The Lancet uh, appeared about a similar case and and the dog had detected cancer and this really this really started the most recent uh, the most recent research phase and it's just been going stronger and stronger and it's all thanks to baby boo i actually i didn't I wanted to talk to the doctor who had written that letter and I was able to find him hes he's still around and and he's doing phenomenal things now he's got all, he's he's got so much responsibility and I'm so glad he took the time to to talk with me and I was really hoping to find the woman bonita and uh i, I ended up finding her wow. it was it was I, w- I was afraid i couldn't find her she she had a social media account but she wasn't answering it didn't seem like there was any activity i was afraid that maybe something had happened but uh but it was a delight to speak with her she absolutely loved her dogs she she only has a cat now the cat likes to drink water from the tap she told me but uh but she'll never forget her, her dog, you know, any of her dogs, of course. But Baby Boo is very special. And and when she learned that Baby Boo had sort of led the way to the science that's going on now, she was very pleased. And she said that was such a nice legacy for Baby Boo.
1: What's the research showing us as far as the um, ability for dogs to actually be accurate in this detection? Are they? Are, do we have any percentages? Do we understand at how good they yeah, are at this?
0: It's very. Varies with each study. So um, sometimes there you know there's there's there are all kinds of things that go into real accuracy but there there are sometimes 99% on the mark and not mis- and not alerting to things that are not cancer. Sometimes it can be quite low and oftentimes maybe down to 60% and and falsely alerting to things that aren't cancer. In those cases it's uh, it's been the training of the dog has been called into question, and there are some other uh, confounding factors that that people are realizing. Ah, this was a problem, and they're learning from this all the time. But but sometimes dogs are spot on. Almost every time, they're they're not perfect. That's that's the thing that why you're not going to see a dog in in your laboratory. First of all, you know, no one wants to be you know, having these dogs working in laboratories forever. But they're um, you know for, for this is. This takes a lot of work, and it's intense work. And the dogs who are doing the research now, they they work for a while and they take breaks, and it's all happy time. But it's. They're, I like to say dogs are only human, and they do get <laughs> tired, they do get distracted, they do make mistakes. Whereas the technology they will lead to, um, hopefully, will not be doing that. So it's it's a. It's a really exciting time that that is, is happening right now. It's not just cancer, it's uh, these other diseases, Parkinson's. There are some dogs up in Washington State who are going around, uh, that's not really a wheel, it's more of a square, <laughs> and they're, they're sniffing out t-shirts with the scent of Parkinson's and, and one of the t-shirts will have Parkinson's and the other one won't, and and when they're saw, really wait, uh, really good at it. Uh, Maria, and when that, you say
1: when you say one of the t-shirts will have Parkinson's and the other one, uh, I should
0: I, say it was worn by someone with
1: Parkinson's. Worn by someone with it. Okay, yes. okay. So. And so what
0: they're trying to do is um, is get dogs to. To sniff out the earliest uh, the earliest stages of Parkinson's. That's that's the goal of this. And they are also working with someone uh, someone who's doing chemical analysis and feeding these scents back to the dog and saying, Hey, is it is is it this? Is it this? And what could be these scents that people are giving off in the earliest stages of Parkinson's? You know, I don't know if you heard about the woman in England a few years ago who who was able to smell Parkinson's on her own husband. She she made headlines, of, I can't remember, just a few, few years ago. She brought to the attention at a a meeting of scientists who were talking about Parkinson's. She asked, she asked one of the doctors, hey, why is it that whenever I'm at a gathering with people with Parkinson's, there's a strange smell, it smells like my husband, it's a kind of a musty smell? And the doctor said, I've never heard about that, and It would have just probably been nothing, but he he gave it some more thought, and he came back to her, and she ended up being part of a uh, a study, or I don't know if it was really a study, but a trial in which she was given uh, a number of T-shirts, and I think uh, they thought 11 of them were, I think there were 11 of them that they thought that were worn by people with known Parkinson's. Well, she detected uh, 12, which is just—I uh, mean, she got all eleven, mm-hmm. and then she detected another one, just by smelling it. And they thought, well, you know, one wrong—that's still amazing. Well, a year later, the per- the person who wore that twelfth T-shirt was diagnosed. Oh, or... wow! So uh, that actually—it's insp- sort of a flip. This this inspired the people in Washington to start working with dogs, whose noses are even, you know, more right. more astonishingly good than than ours. So they're they're finding that dogs are uh, are able to detect these early stages and uh, it, the earlier you can detect anything like this the right. better especially you know before the neurons are lost before anything happens so it's 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 cutting edge and dogs are the dogs up in in Washington, who are detecting Parkinson's, their treat is uh, turkey, <laughs> turkey, So turkey. And there's a dog up there who wears a tutu. She's a little diva. She's a little fluffy, tiny dog. It's not your typical dog you see in police use. She's a little Pomeranian. She was a rescue. She wears a tutu, and she is a diva. And she knows she's the boss. And she does a really good job. So she's one of about, I think, 22 dogs now doing that up there.
1: Maria, when it comes to breed, is there any particular advantage uh, from one breed to another when we're talking about this medical
0: work? When we're talking about the work in in the research centers, not really. Uh, The dogs, what they need to do is... The, the one thing they need isn't to be a lab or to be a German shepherd, but it's to be really, really interested in a reward, usually a food reward but a toy reward. so if they're driven by of uh, the idea of getting a treat for their work, basically they they have to want a paycheck really badly because it takes a lot of focus to, to do this. So uh, so the dogs who are working uh, in in the research, they, they can be just about any breed. Now, the dogs who are working side by side, and this is something we really haven't talked about yet, but it's the dogs who are working beside their people every day. So the ones who are detecting uh, diabetic lows or highs on their people with di- type 1 diabetes, seizures, they can tell the onset of seizures. Um, I don't know how deeply you want to get into this uh, going forward. But I'll I'll just sort of skim it now. Some some are able to detect um, migraines or uh, or even uh, mental health issues like uh, panic attacks. Or how much of uh,
1: that? How much of that is um, again going back to this idea that the dogs can recognize subtle changes in behavior or body language or facial
0: expression? So for for things with for diabetes, the dogs are being expressly trained on scent. So they are—they know the scent of a diabetic low and sometimes a diabetic high, mm-hmm. and so they before they even meet their person, they're able to, to to alert to these scents. So when they meet their person, they're alerting. Now, after they are are living with their person for a while, they may very well be able to to read body language or, or especially, like, let's take the case of seizures. Now, it's only recently that dogs have been trained to, uh, to on the smell of someone in a seizure. And so this is this is new. In the past dogs were given to people um, as their service dogs, people who had seizures uh have a service dog by them to help them when they're going through a seizure to be there at their side sometimes to protect them from from um from really hurting themselves, or to, tap, to call nine one one dog. There's a there's a life alert button that dogs are trained to press, and they can they can summon help if need be. And they're there for their person after the seizure. Let's say in in the um, in the kind of seizure where it's it's a it has a long recovery period. Mm-hmm. The dog is there as a reassuring presence, having having weight on the person, and just being there. So um, those dogs who were doing the service work was some of them started getting anxious at some point um, in the day, say, and then the people who had the dog noticed, wow, the dog gets anxious, and 15 minutes later, I have a seizure, and so people start realizing dogs are tuning into something, and it could well be something we don't have any idea what it is, it could be some kind of Something going on in the brain uh, there was one, there was one paper that talked about some energy that we don 't even know yet that the dogs might be tuning into, and um, it could be the body language the, it could be a change of heart rate. Could be any number of things, and uh, but people didn't question it. They began to say, "Okay, my dog gets anxious, and then I have a seizure. They started training training another behavior into their dog, like, "Oh, come over and lick me or sit or something. so dogs now though a lot of them are being trained to alert to seizures, and it 's something that is just starting. Recently, and it's really exciting because they are training them on the scent of someone in a seizure, and then they meet their person and on that specific person's scent. So what they do is um, the person will take gauze pads and rub their skin with it, and uh, usually they'll um, spit into a cotton or gauze pad. They'll send it to the place that's training the dog, and the place will train the dog on that scent. So uh, there was a case uh, in Southern California at a, at a place I went called Little Angel Service Dogs. And they were training a dog on this one woman's scent while I was there. They would open a jar with a gauze of, I, th- I think it was, uh, with her saliva on it, just in her, when she was in a seizure, so or right after a seizure. And so the dog would get to know that scent. And sure enough, uh, with in the first day, I think it was, that, that the dog met her, he sat down and stared at her, and I think it was a paw is his alert, and he alerted to her without even knowing her or anything, because he knew her scent. Her scent meant all good things happen. It means she gets, he gets a reward. It means people praise him. And so when that scent came, he's like, oh, you know, I, I want to work for this scent. And, and as, But as time goes by, of course, the dog gets to know that um, right. he or she is helping.
1: Maria, where can people get the book?
0: Oh, it's in a lot of bookstores and libraries and also at your favorite online retailer like Amazon.
1: All right, let's jump to the phone lines. This is John in Florida. Hey, John, welcome to the program.
2: Thank you. Um, Well, you were talking about how dogs were always man's best friend. I've always had, you know, working class dogs with me because why not? Big dogs are always extremely awesome in my opinion. And um, we were talking in chat about how German Shepherds, Well, um, had, you know, different types of signals. Mm -hmm. I had one because of my speech impediment when I was younger, was quite severe. And I, well, my dad trained my dog to do hand signals Mm -hmm. to kind of like a, Officer training, you know, sign language in a way for my dog.
1: So, John, just so, I, just so I understand, you were able to communicate commands to your dog by using sign language? Yes. Okay.
2: Yeah, and, that's great. Oh, go ahead. And I still train my dogs like that just in case I don't want to speak. I can still communicate with the dog I have now which is a um Welsh terrier.
0: Those are great dogs. So what kind of what kind of um signals what kind of signals do you, does he understand or like, besides
2: uh, things like sit? Well I have eight um action ones, you know, like come, on guard, um you know, go, come, um, you know, things like that. And others was more, hey, go get that ball or grab me my shoes or yeah. something, you know, That's and great. the dog will, you know, grab me my shoes or wherever I ask without... Warning! Can I have a little? Um, You're like a really um, good trainer
0: to be able to do that because that's that's that takes a lot of work and and dogs do look to us for those signals and it's it's kind of a natural for them if we can it's a, a natural for them if we can communicate with them that way to supplement our our vocal. Uh, requests and, and commands, uh, and actually in the military, uh, there are a lot of dogs who are trained with these hand signals for very important reasons. I wrote about in my book Top Dog. I wrote about a dog named Luca who was trained uh, to to uh, just on hand signals because in these war situations you don't want to be shouting to your dog so she was an off-leash bomb detection dog working in Iraq and Afghanistan and her her handler would be able to tell her left right come go and a few other things and she would always be watching for him, and she would get out way ahead of him, and he would, he would just be able to, to do what you're doing, actually. And in doing so, they saved a lot of lives. They went on 400 missions together. Um, she went on 400 missions in her whole career, and no one ever got hurt in part because of those, of those um, you know, hand signals you're talking about.
1: John, thank you so much for the phone call. We appreciate you sharing your story with us. Uh, Maria, how long does it take? To train one of these dogs to be able to begin the process of detecting some of these um, conditions and diseases that we've been talking about,
0: mm, it can take quite a while. It 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 typically they they're they don't normally train them from puppyhood. So let's say these research centers they come in at maybe a year and a half and they start really working on it, and they it can take many many months. So like, uh, six months is not un, is not it. Unusual and can take longer. And and dogs are the dogs who work alongside their people for things like um, seizures or uh, other disorders are sometimes trained, they're usually trained the same for for a very long time it's always a work in progress they're always uh they're always being trained really once they learn it they have to keep the training up so they're they're always they're frequently tested their their people are always making sure that they're up to par but you know i find it interesting there some people have worked with trainers individually to train a dog who um seems to have a propensity for this kind of work. There was someone in Southern California, who, a, a young man who, he was a teenager, and he started having paralysis. He, he would be paralyzed out of the blue. First, it was half his body, then his whole body. Eventually, it, it could mean he stopped breathing, which was obviously a very terrible and, and potentially killer issue. And the family, uh, sometimes this would be preceded by a headache. So the doctor said, well, it must be a migraine. So the family had heard about migraine detection dogs. They contacted Service Dog Academy, a woman who coaches people through with training their dogs and and they ended up getting a puppy. Who is a golden doodle and she's um she her her line was very good in service dogs as a puppy they started training her they did the same thing they they took the sweat samples and saliva samples from paul the young man um every half hour and the half hour bef- if something happened within a half hour if he if he went into paralysis within a half hour they kept that sample they trained the dog on that sample as a puppy they would put the scent of that um near her food bowl she would get the food while smelling that scent. Eventually that scent became very important in her life, and she, she started alerting to this when she was about six months old, and within a year she was pretty reliable. So it might be a one-off, but she was, it shows the the potential for dogs to be able to do this uh, at, at younger ages, but it's generally recommended that they they start at older ages. And you know what was great about this dog with Paul is she went on to detect two types of paralysis and also dystonias, which are these horrible, painful muscle cramps all over his body. And he subsequently had surgery to to it's basically his brain brainstem was being squashed, and he had surgery which which helped. But she, he has one more issue that she is still she's alerting to and she loves what she does and she's amazing
1: do you see and based on this research that you've done for these books do you see any effort or is there any value in um, selective breeding to help uh, better uh, I guess refine these abilities in dogs
0: yeah well it's certainly that's going on in the military and, and the Secret Service. There are there are dogs that... They, they go to Europe for their dogs, and they they select those dogs, the Belgian Malinois, the, the German Shepherds, usually Malinois, uh, who who are... They, they, they breed them with maybe the German Shepherd and Belgian Malinois. They, they do this, and they try to get just the right dog with the right temperament, the right nose, and it's happening definitely in, in the world of doctor dogs as well to an extent. Many of the dogs who are used for um, to to work beside people for their uh physical and mental health are um are formerly from, say, guide dog programs, and they didn't make it through the guide dog program for one reason or another, so they had a career change. These dogs were donated to, say, uh, Dogs for Diabetics up in Northern California. So they have, they're have these usually Labrador Retrievers or Golden Retrievers who are really good. To, again, it, it's the drive for food and their friendliness and their their. Want to their ability to focus and work, and it, it all combines and it makes a for a phenomenal dog. It's not to say that that uh, a mutt can't do this kind of work, but yeah, they are. And and the dog I was just talking about uh, that was helping Paul. She's a golden doodle, and she came from a, a long line of golden doodles who are doing really good service dog work, not necessarily this cutting-edge doctor dog work, but they're really good. They're so attuned to their people. So yeah, that's that's definitely happening.
1: Do you think it's possible that our regular household dogs um, are... Actually, in tune with some of these things, and maybe trying to communicate with us, and we just don't understand their language.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I've I've uh, read about and interviewed many people whose dogs have signaled them that there's something going on. They are maybe sniffing at a spot on someone somewhere. It could be uh, there. There are a few people, like Shannon Doherty of. Um, of tv fame uh, had she says she credits her dog with telling her she had breast cancer this is not that uncommon she people oftentimes what i'm told is that the dog will be sniffing at a spot that they never used to sniff at really interested sometimes pawing at a spot and um if the person listens to the dog and gets checked out they're that they're the ones we hear about they're the ones who have the cancer or something going on their body now Dogs are dogs. They're going to sniff us. They're going to paw at us. They're going to—they to sniff places that you don't necessarily want them to sniff. And that doesn't mean that you have cancer there. It's—it's a—it's a matter of if your dog really starts doing something unusual, maybe he or she is trying to tell you something. Um, you know, listen, listen. And but don't be too alarmed if you know. It, don't read too much into it. I would say. But but be aware that they're there's a lot more there and if we if we are able to listen to our dogs and really know our dogs as well as they know us they can end up saving a life someday
1: you uh, obviously have written much about dogs and you mentioned a story about a horse earlier do other animals have any of these abilities as well cats maybe
0: um, yeah you, you were saying about cats earlier yeah cats turn out to be pretty good detectors if they decide to be you know on their terms <laughs> uh, their cats uh, but there there are some highly, highly trainable cats out there now no one to my knowledge at least has done any um training of cats they're they're doing it when they want to do it so there have been reports of people who's who say their cats um led them to their cancer their cats have alerted to their diabetic lows. There's a cat I wrote about. I have some, a couple of, two or three cats in the book. I think they're in the footnotes only, but I have some fun footnotes actually in the book. And there was a, a cat who was able to, um, well, he tried warning his man that something was going to happen, that he was, uh, he was in trouble with his diabetes. And I guess the man didn't listen. The man um, went unconscious. So the cat went and got, the girlfriend, who was in a different part of the house, and brought him, brought her. I guess the guy had gone into a coma. Actually, so the cat is credited with saving the dog, the man's life. There are also. I was in Japan for part of the research. I traveled around the world, as I said wow. earlier, and in Japan, I watched as worms detected cancer. There were these little nematodes that I was watching through a microscope, and they had placed urine in a petri dish, and the worms would. Um, waggle their way slowly toward the urine that had cancer in it, so urine uh, that had cancer that sounds weird the urine the urine from someone who had cancer, and they were attracted to that for some reason, and the worms would go away from the the uh petri dishes with the urine that did not have cancer. No one knows what 's going on, but in Japan they 're working on something called an n nose a nematode nose it's a they 're hoping that they will be able to use nematodes to help detect cancer in the technology they're working on now so there there are all kinds of ways all kinds of animals that are probably able to do this but dogs are our best friends they're at our side and they're really good at communicating with us
1: we um, continue to scratch our heads at how uh, amazingly complex and capable our natural world is around us, and I think um, you know we've often relied on science to come uh, with, up with answers for many of these things. When often, if we just look to the animals and the uh, the things that nature have has already provided us, a lot of the answers are already there.
0: Yeah, yeah, they are, and and they're there, smiling up at us with a, a <laughs> wagging tail. What?
1: Um, so, uh, your your uh, dog Gus? How long have you had
0: Gus? Um, he was given to me when he was nine weeks old, and now he is four year almost four years old. Uh, and he, he was the, he actually, um, if we have a second, uh, he, he was given to me by a man whose son and his son's military working dog were killed uh, by uh, an IED in Iraq. Oh, wow. Yeah, the man and the, the his son had a yellow lab, who was that was his dog in Iraq, and uh, they're both killed instantaneously together. And to to prov- to keep himself sane, this man Kevin started taking in yellow labs just because. Of loved his dog so much, and one of them um, was not spayed, and he decided to have a memorial litter for his son Corey Weens and his dog Cooper, and so he asked me if I would like one, and my dog had passed the previous year, my old lab, and so I was very, very honored. And so Gus is a Corey Weens and Cooper memorial dog.
1: Oh, wow, that's beautiful. Um, I've got a 15-year-old lab in this house and a six-month-old lab. And,
0: uh, Ooh, yeah, wow. Yeah, it's and a lot how does of fun. the 15-year-old like the six-month-old and vice versa?
1: You know, it's very interesting because uh, it's revived her a bit. Um, mm. You know, she she loves the company to a degree. You know, she she sets the boundaries, um, you know, because the puppy has way more energy. But uh, it's fun to watch that interaction. And I think the uh, 15-year-old has uh, has found it. Found a, 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 I'll call it a playmate, even though she doesn't play a whole lot. But Yeah,
0: yeah. Nice. <laughs> that's great. It's entertainment. and it keeps uh, her young. A
1: Maria, bit. once again, where can people get the books?
0: Amazon, bookstores, maybe even your local library, and and other online retailers, I'm supposed to say.
1: And do you have anything else in the works? You must have something else you're thinking about, right?
0: Yeah, I'm not supposed to talk about it oh. just yet, but <laughs> I'm pretty excited about it.
1: All right, but I imagine if folks visit your website, they can probably uh, keep up to date yeah, on your work. Yeah, and
0: can I spell my name? Because It's Please really do. weird. Yes. Uh, it's Maria Godavage. It's like good savage without the S, so it's G-O-O-D-A-V, like Victor, A-G-E. Dot
1: com. Thank you so much for your time tonight thank being too. with us. Thank And thank you for your work, by the way. It's great work.
0: Okay. I appreciate that. Thank you.
1: One of the stories I always like to tell because it reminds me very fondly of my father. And uh, he had a, a an English setter that um, failed hunting school, whatever school they send a, these dogs to to train them how to be hunters and how to retrieve, you know, geese or whatever they go out to hunt. Okay. And uh he failed. this dog was not particularly bright. I mean it just you could just look at it and just tell it just had that look in its face like it really didn't get what was going on. but it would my father was a uh, a fan of the TV show mash. I mean he was an Uber fan of of the TV show Mash, and oh. every night he would watch Mash before he went to bed. I think it was on like eleven o'clock. so this dog would uh, lay at his feet and uh, he'd watch mash and I don't know if you've ever listened to the mash theme song, yeah, oh sure, the lyrics, yeah, but well, not even the lyrics, oh. but in, in the TV show is the same song in and out mm-hmm. um but this dog as soon as the outro theme would hit the dog would 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 go off to bed i mean <laughs> instantly um it wouldn't and we tried to trick it we tried to like to to, but he couldn't trick the dog. It <laughs> knew it when it was specifically the outro theme to the MASH television show. So this dog didn't have a lot of bright spots going on upstairs, uh-huh. but um, it could. It did figure it that one out. That, and huh? and I, it could never figure out how it could recognize that. It must pick up in a different part of There's the song. There's something in there. And as a musician, because I listened, it, tried to listen for differences. It's the beginning, got the guitar intro. Right. Boom, boom. You, so the, you think it, it end, recognized that the guitar did, it didn't intro the song right, and it yes. recognized that difference? Yep. yep. I, hmm. I mean, <laughs> I know, I know. We're going to have to do some experiment. That dog is gone, sadly, so we won't be able to experiment with that dog. But anyway, thanks for being here, everybody, tonight. Tomorrow night, we're going to be talking about 5G and EMF radiation. Is it dangerous? According to Matt Landman, it is. He'll tell us how to protect ourselves from this uh, technology that seems to be coming, whether we need it or want it or whatever is going on. It seems to be on its way. It's Beyond Reality Radio. We'll catch you tomorrow night.